This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined by Tony Dorigo, a man who has been very successful within the game, played at Aston Villa, played at Chelsea, was very successful at Leeds United, a club that are incredibly historic in English football, also played abroad in Italy as well, as well as going to major international tournaments with England, which is which is no, no mean feat. You have to be elite to get there. So first of all, Tony, how are you? Uh, I'm good, very good, thank you. Um, yeah, now the uh, football's back at least, and we're we're watching some football, but uh, no crowds, which I have to say is, is a real disappointment at the moment. But uh, yeah, I'm all good, thanks. I mentioned Leeds United now back in the Premier League. When you were at Leeds United, just sum up first of all your move to Leeds because they are a massive club, they're a historic club, and when you moved there, they were really uh, still at their peak in the sense that they could compete for the big honours. Yeah, I think Leeds United, uh, like a lot of clubs, you know, go through um, ups and downs. And clearly, late 60s and 70s was a you know, the fantastic era for the club. And if you think of the, that team and they won you know, a couple of championships and, and uh, how they did in Europe and the Cups and everything else, they were absolutely fantastic. And Don Revy was the manager. So that's what the club was kind of built on. But then, uh, yeah, then a downturn, uh, I suppose, until I suppose late 80s. Early 90s, it started to pick up again. How Wilkinson came to the club. Uh, and I joined when Leeds, they got promoted. And then the first year back, they finished fourth uh, in the old Division One. So um, that's when I joined in 91 92, um, along with Steve Hodge and Rod Wallace. Uh, and yeah, we, we managed to, to win the title in that, that first year. But it's a, you know, it's, historically, it's, it's a huge club, but uh, it's been, uh, you know, ups and downs, certainly. But I must admit, at last, I think we're on a bit of an up at the moment with, uh, back in the Premier League. Marcelo Bielsa. So, uh, yeah, it, it's gone really well uh, so far uh, this season with the club. But, uh, yeah, my time, uh, you know, we were there trying to win things, win the big things, and uh, we managed to, to win the league. You mentioned winning the title, and, and it's an incredible achievement for, for, for any club. But for Leeds, as you say, getting promoted, finishing fourth, then going on to win the title. Yourself, you're in the team. You've got the likes of Gordon Strachan, Gary McAllister, uh, Gary Speed, you've even got guys like Chris Kamara, who we know is on television. I mean, what was it like playing for Leeds during that season in the sense that Howard Wilkinson is a manager that interests me. He seems like someone who, in no uncertain terms, will tell you what he wants and what he expects. Yes, um, Howard was extremely good at getting us organised, uh, getting us fit. Uh, clearly had to pick the right team, you know, so the right uh, balance uh, is always important and that's what he did. Uh, and then giving all that, you need to then, you know, guide us through a, a season. But I think Howard uh, tactically, certainly on the defensive side, was fantastic because uh, we would work a lot on the training ground, you know, go through repetition, repetition, uh, whether it was attacking free kicks, defending free kicks, corners, throw-ins. Uh, and I was involved in, in most things. So I had to just keep jogging around the pitch for like an hour, hour and a half, going through these motions. So you'd get it 
ingrained in your mind. And of course, then when you went to Old Trafford, when you went to Anfield, when you went to Highbury, uh, you know, you won nil up or you won one hanging on, uh, you automatically went in the right position. So uh, it was on that side of things, Howard did a, you know, a fantastic job. Clearly, uh, he was demanding, but I think when you get a really good group of players, you're demanding of each other anyway. So the, the, the standards are extremely high. Um, and what Howard, I think, was really good at was developing the club and the players along the way. Uh, you mentioned Chris Kamara. Well, Chris Kamara was ideal for, for the championship, so Division 2. As soon as you get to the big league, then uh, it just, and this is no slight on Chris, but you know, suddenly the players and the level had to go up if you wanted to win things. And so that's when Gary McAllister then came in. So the, you know, the better players came in at the right time. And I suppose the real catalyst to all that was probably Gordon Stratton. Uh, you know, him as a leader, as, a, as someone to hold those uh, around him to high standards, uh, that was key. So uh, I come kind of a year after that and already, you know, things were in place. The training was electric, tempo was high, you know, the demanding of everyone was, was you know, very high. And uh, I loved it because that's what you want. You want to you win things uh, and you've got to be good. And uh, yeah, I came into a really good group. And in terms of Gordon Strachan, you mentioned Gordon. He's known in Scotland, of course, from what he did with Aberdeen. Obviously, what he did Man United, Leeds, Scotland, and in his managerial career. What was he like in that spell at Leeds? Because he was he was a wee bit older in his career. He was obviously very experienced. What was he like in the dressing room and crucially on the park as well? I think what's interesting about Gordon is it gave him a new lease of life. You know, absolutely, and he still had plenty to offer. But for whatever reason, you know, at Manchester United, uh, it wasn't quite going uh, how he'd liked it. But it came, he came to Leeds United and suddenly he was uh, the focal point. He was the important one to bring others on. And I think he rose to that. Um, I think as a player, oh, he was fantastic. You know, to see, I think, the energy, the appetite that he had was superb. Obviously, technically, he was, he was brilliant. And you'd, you'd listen. And everyone around him, you know, did listen. So he was a great example. And, and I think it... It really helped Leeds United, but I think we, as Leeds United, helped him as well. And uh, yeah, he had a fantastic time. And in terms of Leeds, when you're you're going well, when you're going for the title, just how good is it to be playing at a ground like Ellen Road, where the fans are on top of the pitch and they're not shy and letting the opposition know what they think of them? Old school ground. It was fantastic. You know, you get 37, 38,000 uh, absolutely jammed and uh, the noise was uh, was crazy. I think what certainly happened at the start of that season was once we uh, started our home games, and don't forget, I, I come from Chelsea, who are, you know, they've got a great fan base as well, but uh, I think Ellen Road, as you mentioned, just, you know, it's really tight ground, um, and suddenly we started winning things, and the noise level was just crazy, you know, before the game, first 5, 10, 15 minutes, they just keep going and going, and you, you saw it in the opposition, and that's how I kind of thought, wow, this, is, this has got some effect on the opposing teams here. I, I think the other thing that had a big effect, of course, is uh, David Batty would launch into a couple of tackles and suddenly the opposition knew they were in for a, you know, a bit of a game. So the no doubt, I think the way that we started, I think the, the fans took to that and from there on, they just supported us uh, like crazy. And uh, yeah, it really did feel like a 12th man. It's easy to say that, but it really did. You know, sometimes big crowds can work against you, you know, when they're, they're kind of booing you, but yeah, it certainly uh, didn't that season. It worked uh, a lot in our favour. How did you prepare for the games against the so-called traditionally massive clubs? I know Leeds are one of those, but the other ones like Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, because you didn't lose many games against those those type of teams that season. And you also were a team that were capable of 
putting in some big score lines. I mean, 6-1 away at Sheffield Wednesday. You get yourself in the score sheet that day, a Chapman hat-trick. I mean, you were a team that seemed to be able to compete and go away from home to the likes of Everton, United, and and make, make yourselves tough to beat when you had to. But as I mentioned with the Sheffield United, the Sheffield sorry Wednesday game, you could also be expansive and score lots of goals as well. Uh, actually, you, you touch on a really good point because I, I look at look back at that time now, and what I kind of realise more and more is we had a side that could play lots of different ways. So if you wanted a physical battle, you know we could we could match that no problems at all. You know we had. Uh, big strong lads, you know, bats in midfield. We could all get our foot in and and, and tackle. Uh, however, if you wanted to play, uh, we could play as well. So you know, Gordon Strachan, Gary McAllister, uh, myself and Mel at the back. You know, we could play the football as well. So whatever the circumstances, we felt uh, you know we had something to offer and to compete. And I suppose as we played the big teams or little teams, it was just a confidence thing. That it doesn't matter who we played in the end. You know, we're going to play our stuff. Whatever game they brought to us, we thought we had something that we could match that and then, you know, go on and beat them. And, uh, yeah, I think once that starts, then you have confidence, then you have momentum, and uh, then, of course, you're dealing with pressure. But, um, yeah, we had some fantastic performances. And, and not like nowadays, of course, it's just that every game is on TV, so you see them all, all the time. But back then, there was just one kind of big game, uh, you know, per day. And uh, the ones you mentioned there, I remember the first one, I think, was actually Aston Villa away we were flying we beat them 4-1 we absolutely smashed them we, we looked fantastic and then they put us on again away at Sheffield Wednesday and uh, we were second and they were third uh, so it's a huge game and uh, we absolutely smashed them six so uh, yeah we, we didn't mind you know whoever we played home or away and we rose to the occasion but I just think uh, certainly at home we, we I never ever thought we were going to get beat and we didn't we didn't get beaten that season at home and it's a, it's a heck of a thing to go out on your, your home ground always thinking like that. But even if you go one down or two down, we thought, no, no, we'll, we'll get this back or we'll go and beat them. So, uh, yeah, it was it was special. With hindsight as well, when you look at the fact that Manchester United were the team that were really trying to, to compete for the title with you, Sheffield Wednesday, of course, finished the season strongly, finished third as well. How proud are you now when you look back in that achievement with hindsight? Because... Sir Alex Ferguson and Manchester United were getting closer and closer to winning a title. The following season, when the, the dawn of the Premier League comes, they win it and, and they've, they dominated for many years under Sir Alex. So with the power of hindsight, do you look back in that achievement now and think, wow, it was, it was incredible at the time, but when you look at its place in football history, it's even more incredible in a sense now? Yeah, I look back and um, I think with the players that we had um, and their expectations... It wasn't winning the title, but it was certainly uh, doing better than fourth. So there's only so many positions you can try and aim at, and you know, and we wanted to be the best we could be. So I think um, it was fantastic to go through that experience. Uh, and when I, I suppose me looking back, uh, the only downside I would have that we didn't uh, go on and really compete the next season. You know, that was disappointing for, from my point of view. But then we bounced back the following seasons and, and did well, but never quite got you know to the very very top again. So uh, through lots of reasons, but I think. Yeah, I mean, looking back at the teams we had to play against and the players that we played against, uh, there's some really good teams and players out there. And, uh, yeah, we came out on top with a, with a, with a small squad, uh, you know, and, and we did it. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it is amazing to think it's a long, long time ago now, but you strive for so long to, to, to win things. Uh, and then when you do, you kind of want a bit more. <laughs> you want a bit more again. So it's, uh, it's lovely. Now's the time to look back in the end and say, you know what, we, we did extremely well. 
one of the players you played alongside at Leeds that some people and maybe younger viewers will completely forget is, is Eric Cantona. Everyone knows him from playing at Manchester United and that seems to be when he's mentioned that's the club that people focus on. Maybe you could say for obvious reasons, but he was a Leeds United player and what was it like when he was at Leeds United? Um, I actually uh, got on well with, with Eric. Um, I suppose what not many people realise is he come kind of midway through the season. He didn't start uh, a load of games either and scored only three or four goals. So uh, he certainly was part of the, the squad and uh, he gave us a little uh, vital goal here and there in, in the running. But that is absolutely no doubt. Uh, but I think what we then saw at Manchester United was he had a fantastic effect on the team. Uh, of those around him and what I mean by that is the youngsters that Manchester United had suddenly he was the Pied Piper and he really came into his own and at, at Leeds he didn't quite have uh, that sort of role in the side but um, I've got to say he was professional a fantastic player got great ability uh, I saw him actually for France on the 21s when I played Brighton on the 21s a few years before that so I knew all about him he drew 2-2 he scored both goals so I remember him from there uh, but what you do know is he's professional, uh, great ability, but he just needed, I think, someone to wrap their arms around him, make him feel really, really important and the focal point. And uh, that wasn't the way we did things at, at Leeds United, but Sir Alex certainly worked it out and did that. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. But uh, I got on really well with Eric, uh, as everyone did. And in terms of winning the title, following that becomes the dawn of the Premier League. The first season in the Premier League for Leeds, as you mentioned, was a difficult season from, from the high of winning the title. It was a bit of a struggle in comparison. But personally for yourself, you had a strong season. I mean, you were named in the Premier League Team of the Year. So how do you look back in that achievement, considering the fact that although your team weren't necessarily being as consistent as they once were, your performances were recognised by your peers? Yeah, that's uh, always lovely. Um... I think that season was, uh, yeah, certainly more more of a struggle. Home form, I think we still could have been top two or three. Our way form, we just couldn't win a game. It was just uh, incredible. When talk about momentum, you know, it can go the other way as well. But uh, yeah, I was delighted with that. I think the um, the year before when we won the title, I actually got uh, Fans Player of the Year. So that was uh, that for me is a, a huge honour as well because um, it's, it could have been all eleven of us, you know, seven or eight of us from that side, no problems at all because everyone had a had a wonderful season but uh, yeah for me that's pretty special when you talk about the players that I played alongside that year but uh, yeah the following year when things were bad you know um, it, it's great to see your fellow pros yeah pick you above you know, all the other left backs in the league that year so that was uh, yeah a, a good, nice honour as well Another player I want to ask you about from your time at Leeds a wee bit further on is is Tony Yaboa. He's a sort of cult figure in the sense that his goals are always shown, whether it's on Premier League years, whether it's on Sky Sports or BBC, whatever it may be. But what was he like as a player? Did he have more to his game than just those wonder goals that, that people reference? <laughs> well, he didn't need any more to his game as long as you stick it in the top corner from 25 yards. Who cares? Uh, Tony Yaboa was, was fantastic. Didn't say a lot. Uh, Lovely, quiet man, uh, hammer, a hammer of a left foot. Just incredible. And, and it didn't seem to have much back lift either, yet the power he generated uh, was wonderful. I remember pre-season the one year, uh, we certainly liked to run a lot. Al Wilkinson had us extremely fit. And it's fair to say, Tony Yaboa didn't write, like to run too far. Let's just say that. And so all the long runs you know, weren't his thing. But as soon as it comes to little sprints, 
you see his little eyes light up and he just came alive. And that first 10 yards, uh, he was, you know, lightning. And that's all strikers need. They don't need to run 100 yards. It's about being alive and alert. First yard, of course, is in the brain. And, the, you know, after that, first 10 yards is just about it. And Yogo had that. Yogo was, was fantastic. In that. But yeah, he was one of the, certainly the best uh, strikers in the ball I've seen uh, that could control it with so much power. And uh, the, the goal he scored against was at Wimbledon down at Southwest Park or against Palace. Uh, the Liverpool goal as well at uh, Ellen Road was uh, amazing. And uh, it's funny, if you watch that clip, I actually hit it forward which is quite funny. A lot of time they just chopped that off because all it was was a punt up the pitch. But I keep reading how it was a, a, you know, a quality ball into Rod Wallace. Well, Rod Wallace, uh, as we know, is about like five foot five and I hit it like seven foot in the air for him. So it was a crack ball up. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's, uh, it got nodded back and then Yeboah hits this volley, which I've got to say is uh, it's fantastic. I just love goals that hit the underneath the bar, go down, pop up into the net. The crowd went nuts. It was against Liverpool. It was a warm evening. It, uh, yeah, for me, that was a, an amazing goal. And in terms of that era as well, I mean, I've got to ask you about the games against Manchester United over the whole spell at Leeds, because that rivalry, I know obviously Leeds are now back and we'll see that rivalry rivalry be renewed, but it was very fierce when, when you were playing in the 90s. <laughs> it was. That's all they cared about. And second on the list was Chelsea. And I had just come from Chelsea, so that wasn't the brightest move, I have to say, because even the Chelsea fans don't like Leeds either. So, uh, you know what, but that's what it's all about. The rivalries are what it's about. So they make the atmosphere and the history of games. You know, um, we can bring up all sorts of different games over the years, but certainly when they were at the top and we were at the top, there's no bigger rivalry because uh, you know, we're both going for the same prizes. And, and the games were uh, wonderful to play in, electric. The build-up clearly was a lot earlier than a normal game uh, against, you know, some other side. Uh, and when you got into the tunnel, um, you could almost touch the atmosphere. I don't know how else to describe it, but the hairs in the back of my neck used to stand up. The noise was like a reverberation, like a, a vibration uh, almost. And the only other time I've actually had that was actually at Ibrox, would you believe, playing against Glasgow Rangers in the, uh, in the European Cup that night when uh, they started singing just before the, um, the kickoff. And the noise was nuts, absolutely nuts. And that's what Manchester United you know, games were like. Just um, you know, so much passion involved uh, and wonderful to play. They really are. You mentioned the, the, the European Cup. What's it like playing in Europe compared to domestic football? Because we know the Premier League has been physical, fast, ferocious. Whereas I imagine when you're playing in the European Cup on the continent, you might have a wee bit more time in the ball. There might be more of a technical element to it. Is that a fair assumption? Um, back then, yes. Uh, obviously, I played for England as well, so you soon learn that you know it's very different games. Uh, international football is, is a bit different again. Um, but I think playing in Europe, uh, yeah, you can't be as aggressive as you could you know, in the Premier League. You, know, you make a challenge, you think it's okay. Of course, the, you know, the players back then would not think it's okay. They're rolling around and you get the yellow card and suddenly you're on tightrope. Uh, so you have to understand you know, that sort of thing as well. Um, but yeah, it is it is a learning curve, and it's just a, another enjoyable you know part of it. We played the German champion Stuttgart, then we played Monaco, PSV, all sorts of different sides you know, throughout our European uh, uh, trips down the years. And, and I just remember the great experience playing against you know different types of styles. Obviously, I went later to play in Italy as well uh, for Torino, and again, you know, another great learning curve. But uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think the European games at that time 
just you had to be careful on the physicality. That was probably the main thing. Now, you mentioned um, being an England international, as, as I want to come to now. People listening, um, younger generation, might be listening to your accent and thinking, sounds, sounds like an Aussie. You were born in Australia. Did you ever foresee yourself playing for England? Because I know Australia tried to call you up when you were at Aston Villa. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, for me, the difficulty that I had, certainly, when I first came over from Australia... I, I left Australia when I was 15, so my father's Italian, my mother's Australian, uh, and I came over uh, to England when I was 15, back in 1981. Uh, and at that time, the international calendars uh, weren't aligned. So now the, the, there is an align, alignment of, uh, of dates all throughout the year through all the continents. So whatever country you play for, you can fly back, play for your country, and away you go, as we're, we're having that just now. We've just had that with all the uh, players flying back from South America and wherever. Uh, back when I was, uh, was called up, that wasn't the case. Uh, and Australia uh, rang me. I was 18. I'd gotten to Aston Villa's first team. Only had a handful of games. Of course, that was big news you know, back down under. Uh, they didn't have any other players uh, you know, playing over here. Uh, and I'd made uh, the team for Aston Villa, who two, three years before that won the European Cup. So, uh, so it was great. I said, right, Tony, can you come and play for Australia? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Wonderful. So what's going on? When and how? And all this sort of stuff. So they told me the dates. Uh, I would have had to go for like a four or five week period. So, because there were so many games in a short space of time, and we're playing the likes of Fiji, yeah, American Samoa, uh, New Zealand, all these sorts of places. And I walked into my manager at the time and asked him, said, listen, I've just been caught up by Australia, you know, is this possible? And he just explained to me, do you really want to play American Samoa and Fiji? And you're about to play Arsenal at Highbury. You're about to play Manchester United at Villa Park. You're... You know, are you crazy? What is wrong with you? Get out of my bloody office. You ain't coming back again. And that was it. So it was, a, it was for me, it just wasn't possible. I couldn't do it. I couldn't play for Australia. Uh, then, two, three years later, once I'd uh, stayed at Aston Villa and started playing better and better, uh, England came to me and said, listen, you're almost five years residence in this country. After that, you can get uh, citizenship and you can choose which, which country uh, in Great Britain you'd like to play for. Is that something you'd consider, and if so, you know, England would like you to choose us. So uh, that's how it came about. Uh, I could see my future certainly in England, um, and that's what happened. So I, I was delighted to, to play for England, and I'm still here. I love the weather so much I've stayed. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. Of course, I would have loved to have played Australia. It just wasn't, it wasn't uh, possible uh, when, I was, uh, when I was coming through. But, uh, however, I'm actually delighted to have the experiences with, with England that I did do. Well, coming to those experiences, I mean, there's no no doubt you wouldn't swap those for the world when you consider that, obviously, Euro 88 and then Italia 90, which is still for so many people, not just not just English football fans, but football fans in general, is, is, is the sort of World Cup that people just still want to talk about. What was it like going there in, in, to Italy for Italia 90? Because... You think Sir Bobby Robson, Gary Lineker, Gaza in that tournament. There's just so many others we could name. It was just an exciting time for football and still fondly remembered to this day. Yeah, I think it was an incredible uh, tournament to uh, to watch and be part of. I think the only disappointment was the final. That wasn't the greatest of games, but I thought, uh, as for everything else, there was so much drama. But just because uh, the Italians as well, they absolutely you know, loved their football. Uh, the whole country stopped you know for that tournament they had so much 
style as well and the uh, and, and how we got on as an England uh, team was, was amazing because we weren't so fancy. We stumbled across three at the back. And then we just kept chugging away and getting better and better and better as the tournament progressed and, and going through and all the way to the uh, to the semi-final. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's a one heck of an experience I'll never, ever forget. And uh, I, I think it was really, really special. My, my father, mum and dad actually came over as well from Australia to, to watch the tournament in Italy. as my father being Italian. And uh, I played the full game in the uh, third and fourth place playoff final against Italy, would you believe? So there I am in Italy playing for England against Italy. And um, I, I crossed it and David Platt uh, headed it in. So I, I got an assist. I played really well. Uh, unfortunately, we obviously, we, we lost 2-1, so that wasn't great. However, obviously, we lost the tournament in the semi-final. We wanted to just go home, but at least I got an opportunity. But after the game, I remember my dad coming up to me and, uh, and he said, uh, oh, that, it's just the best best thing in the world. You know, I've, everything I could dream of is just kind of happened. I said, I said, what do you mean, Dad? We, we lost. He said, no, no, Italy won. My son played for England and, and you played really, really well, but Italy won and I've seen you play in the World Cup. You know, what more can you ask for? I said, well, no, England win. That's the first thing you can ask for. But yeah, it, for lots and lots of reasons, it's, it's really special. A lot of it is you know, etched in, in my brain and uh, my memory, which is, uh, which is wonderful. You mentioned so many, so many people there. You're right, Gazza, Bobby Robson. There's so many things that went on, but uh, it was a really, really special. But it's interesting because so many people even now you know, look back at that tournament and say, uh, you know, what a side we had, uh, what a tournament, and uh, what an England shirt, you know, that's the shirt we love and we remember. So depending on what your era is, but there's no doubt anyone uh, growing up and supporting him at that time, uh, yeah, 1990 was something special. In terms of Sir Bobby, what was he like as a manager and as a person? Because he's someone who is just loved, but again, the length and breadth of the UK and you watch the documentary, it was made about his whole life um, and playing, managing and, and his charity work afterwards. He just seems like someone you would love to play for. You're exactly right. And that's what it is. You are playing for the man. Uh, you would run through brick walls, Bobby Robson, you know, and uh, he would get names mixed up and do some funny stuff. But you know what? That made him even more lovable, really. And I don't know how more to explain it because some of the stuff that he did was, uh, was, was crazy. Yet... You know, we do everything, anything for him. That's what, that's what it's all about. It's team spirit. It's getting a message across. Don Howe was his coach. Obviously, tactically, you know, we were all uh, astute and sorted. But uh, as a man, he, he was wonderful. And, um, yeah, I can't praise him high enough. It was just uh, lucky for me that I was able to, to play underneath him and experience him, you know, firsthand. And, uh, yeah, he, he had a, a fantastic career. And just a, a wonderful man. And um, I think that's his, that's his success. He's very sincere. And in terms of England as a whole, see when you walk out at Wembley as an England player, just sum up that feeling. It's when you do walk out because it's obviously Wembley is cavernous, it's gigantic. So you've got 70,000, 70, 80,000 people there, and uh, it makes a change. They're all they're all for you. <laughs> it's, it's not that they're all they're not having a go at you. They all want you to do well from whatever club it is, and. Uh, it's just amazing. It's very special. And then, of course, you look around at your teammates and you think, wow, you know, these guys are, are the best in England. And we, here we are all together in the same side. So you have these rivalries throughout the season, but suddenly you come together. And that's really special as well, because uh, next Saturday, you might be trying to kick one of them as hard as you can. Yet <laughs> that Wednesday, you're playing against, you know, Yugoslavia or Czech Republic or whoever it is. Um, 
and you're the best of mates, and it's it's, it's a really special thing. But yeah, I, I think then you know singing the national anthem, and then you're ready to go. You don't need any more adrenaline, you know. And, and sometimes you talk about you know being in the right frame of mind and all this sort of stuff. Forget that playing for your country. You can't help but in the right frame of mind, you are ready to do whatever you need to do. And uh, yeah, it's pretty special. But it's a uh, it, it, obviously it doesn't go on forever. It doesn't happen uh, every day. So uh, every little time you do experience that, you cherish it uh, forevermore. And in terms of the big characters, Gaza, Lineker, uh, John Barnes, Brian Robson, we know what these guys are like on the park. We've heard lots of stories about them off the park and their characters. What were they like in training? Did they train with the intensity that they played at? Yeah, uh, I think when you get together as a group with the best players in the country, uh, it's intense. Yeah, the tempo's high. You can't slack, you know, because you're all trying to prove yourself. You're all trying to show you're good enough and show you're better than you know, anyone else out there. And so, uh, yeah, a lot of the time you had to calm it down and that would be down to the, the managers just, just to say, you know, steady guys, because we've got a game on Wednesday. Don't take it out amongst yourselves. But, um, yeah, there was, there was no slacking. Uh, you know, you, you needed to, to be at a very high level uh, all the time. And of course, the, the manager and the coach have got their eyes on you all the time as well, and all the staff, you know, making sure, uh, you, you know, and looking at you and uh, you know, seeing uh, how fit you are, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, no, it was good. And just thinking, probably the, the one that stood out for me, though, in training, uh, and this is probably why I always say the, the best player that I played with uh, was Paul Gascoigne. Because Gazza, uh, we actually both played England on the 21s together. I was the captain of that team and uh, I had Gazza to look after. That was impossible, but anyway. Uh, so then we, when we both jumped up to the full team, um, I've never seen anyone so quickly take to training and being part of a group and then elevate themselves above the group. As a kid, you know, it's just amazing. Okay, we weren't kids, we're 21, 22, whatever it was, but in international terms, you know, that's, that's very raw, that's very rookie-ish. Uh, but he suddenly would, you know, be doing things to, as you mentioned, Robson and, and Butcher and Barnsey and, and Chris Waddle and all this that you're thinking, what are you doing? Like trying to nutmeg them and pulling it off time and time again. You're thinking, my God, what is he doing? And he has time and space that, you know, we are playing at such a high tempo, ferocious uh, speed to our play, yet suddenly he can drop a shoulder, find space, and you think, wow, this, this kid is amazing. So, uh, yeah, I think for, for me, that just was one clear memory that Gaza was a little bit special. A special, special player, and we all remember, if, if you've watched um, the, the the documentaries about Italia 90, the, the, the way he performed on the pitch, the emotion, obviously, when he gets that yellow card and Gary Lineker's reaction, I mean, just an incredible, incredible talent and someone who, one of the very best English players ever in the history of the nation, and and I want to talk to you, Tony, as well about Aston Villa and Chelsea because I mentioned Leeds, the success of winning the title, but Villa and Chelsea clearly played a big part in your development, winning Player of the Year awards at both clubs, um, with Chelsea having the unique element of being relegated but then bouncing back straight away, which is incredibly important. How big was it for you to have the experience that you did at Villa and then Chelsea before going to Leeds? Yeah, I think... Um... Villa were fantastic. Let's not forget, I didn't know anything else. I come from Australia, so very much at that time, you know, a backwater uh, of football. Uh, so I come to this club, which was just gigantic, you know, and Villa Park was incredible. And I'm, 
I mean, all, all the time, you know, thinking, wow, this is just amazing. So I'm learning all the time. So I'm learning, learning, learning. And then um, they had a great new setup. Uh, the way they looked after and brought on players was, was fantastic. And I was really lucky. I actually had Brian Little as my youth team coach. Uh, so Brian hadn't long, obviously, uh, retired uh, from being a top-level player himself. But he was a great guy. And he just set me on the, the right road, really, just pointed out some basics, but the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do. And if you stick to the right thing to do, and you'll go a long way. Obviously, a lot of it's up to you, but I thought he was great. And from then on, I then quickly got into the Villa first team. Uh, and I just tried my hardest every single game. It, it seems a basic thing, but I was so delighted to be there. And uh, yeah, things went really well. I got you know, player of the year. I was a, a young lad, 18, 19. Uh, and things were good. Um, but we struggled. And I think the great team of the European Cup that, that won, so to Peter with Dennis Mortimer, Des Bremner, Gary Shaw, Tony Morley, all of those players were getting older and were having to re be replaced. And uh, Villa, we really struggled, really struggled with that. Um, and so I was kind of sacrificed uh, to Chelsea at the time, but I was uh, a bit surprised. They, they tried to swap me uh, with David Speedy uh, two, three months before the end of the season because we just couldn't score goals. Uh, and uh, I didn't agree to it. David Speedy from Chelsea didn't agree to it. Uh, but unfortunately, we got relegated. And uh, then Chelsea came back in that summer and offered a lot of money for me. And uh, that's it. I, I had to go. So uh, down I went to... Chelsea. So that was, uh, yeah, it's a, a learning experience. You know, sometimes you learn more by being down the bottom than you do at the top. I think, uh, you, and in that certainly my case. And same with um, with at Chelsea. Things, uh, again, uh, went uh, not so good initially for the team. But for me, things went extremely well. I got relegated. Next day, I was in the, the uh, European Championship squad with England. They, they picked me to go to, uh, to Germany. So that was bizarre. Just that my head was kind of scrambled. Um, so I thought, right, you know, we've got to just do our best, get out of this uh, Division 2. We won up by an absolute streak. We won up by March, I think, when, when we scored. I think we lost, uh, actually didn't lose in 36 games. So it was, it was crazy. So, um, again, you learn something again. Then you're back in the big time, and then we did, did well again. But uh, what that whetted my appetite for was to actually just be the best that I could and give myself every single opportunity to, to win things. And I just thought at the time, Chelsea, there was a little bit, chaos behind the scenes and that's why I thought right I'm uh, I'm going to uh, uh, move I follow your contract I'm on my way I almost went to Glasgow Rangers actually uh, they tried to, to sign me about a year before uh, for a long long time and uh, in the end I decided to go to, to Leeds United so uh, where fortunately it worked out well you're right it certainly does work out well as we've talked about with the league title success as well what I want to, to know is you played in the, the old first division when it was the, the equivalent of the Premier League and then you obviously played in the Premier League. Was there any difference? Did you notice any difference from the old first division um, to the Premier League as you progressed through it, Leeds? No, <laughs> there's no difference at all. The, the only difference you would uh, have said, maybe they, they, they added a couple of cameras one year and then it would be a couple of more cameras and it, really that's as basic it is. There was no difference whatsoever. It's just a name. Uh, that's all it was. I think clearly what the product you're seeing now uh, in the Premier League with, with Sky and BT what have you, has certainly been developed and developed developed you know, over the years. Uh, but certainly the changes were slow and gradual. Uh, and don't forget, we're talking 91, 92. So this is coming up you know, 28, 29 years ago. So there was no difference whatsoever. Uh, it's only now that people seem to make a bigger deal out of it in that... Uh, you know, the Premier League has only been going X amount of years. Well, 
to be honest, it, it was football. It was exactly the same. It's been going for you know, lots and lots and lots of years. So, uh, yeah, that, that's all. For us, there was no difference whatsoever. I'm actually glad that you've said that because I think as a young person, I'm, a lot of people assume that football started in 1992 and, and I hate that attitude because you, you think of the great goal scorers, people talk about Alan Shearer and he was incredible in the Premier League and even in the old First Division, but you think of the likes of Gary Lineker who you played with, people will say, oh, but Lineker didn't, uh, only played in the Premier League for a very short time at the end of his career and you think, but if you look at the, the First Division, which is the Premier League, he scored goals and, and was a successful player. So I think it's something that it's refreshing to hear people like yourself talk about because for me, it infuriates me when you think of the great players that played in the English game that, for whatever reason, don't really get the recognition they deserve because the Premier League has got such a focus. Yeah, and I know what you're saying there, but that's for me, that's absolutely ridiculous and, and, and rightly so because if you look back at the great sides as well, think of the Liverpool side, Dunglish and Souness and all that. Oh, my goodness, what a fantastic team that is, you know. So uh, I don't see it as that. I, I really do see it as a name change and it's more a technology thing in that, uh, the way the game is brought to the, uh, the wider public around the world uh, has improved, as is everything uh, in the world. But uh, for me, that, that's, that's all it's been. And when, uh, yeah, when I look back, you know, that period before and after, I don't see it like that. It, it's all one to me. Brilliant. I'm glad to, as I say, to hear that. And in terms of yourself moving to Italy, was that something because of your Italian heritage that was always an ambition of yours? Yeah, I, I always uh, fancied playing Italy, and don't forget when uh, I just started my career, the Italian Serie A was the, the league. There were some you know, fantastic players then playing that, and if you think back to when it was at its height with uh, you know Van Basten, Hullet, and Rijkaard at, uh, at Milan. You know, you got Platini, Boniek at Juventus. You know, these are world-class players, Maradona, Carreca at Napoli. You know, that was the thing. So I've always had a look at that. Um, I also like it that it was a very different style. And I think I always thought in my head, uh, me, I was a fullback, but I wasn't your archetypal English fullback. I had you know, more technique and speed, I suppose, and back then than, uh, than maybe some others. So I thought Italy would kind of suit me as well, but I never quite got the opportunity at the right time. Uh, and then when it did come, I thought, you know what, why not? I'm 32, 33 years of age. Let's go and experience you know, Italy and Italian football. So uh, I signed for Torino. Uh, oh God, it was fantastic! You know, just a just another look at things, and you know, if you if I think you need to open your your mind up and be educated uh, uh, about football in lots of different ways. You know, don't be so blinkered. And you know, whether it's a Dutch style, you know, whether it's a French, the Spanish, or the Italian, or the English, or whatever way it is, I think the more you can uh, certainly feel these different uh, ways and systems and ideas, the better. And uh, that was. Me, no more so than me going to it, and I really felt that. So I, it opened my eyes up again, and uh, I loved it. I had a great season. Um, player of the year there as well, so it didn't go so bad again. But uh, and I got to eat pasta and, uh, uh, you know, sip wine for piazza, and, uh, yeah, you know, embrace it. I had a fantastic time. It really good. An incredible time on the field, off the field, as, you, as you've mentioned. But back to the Premier League afterwards with Derby County, Jim Smith, another incredible character in football. You, you certainly have picked your, your, your characters as managers. Oh, Jim Smith, uh, love the guy. He's uh, fantastic. But yeah, I, I suppose you could class him as uh, one of the old dinosaur type managers, he, you know, which, which is right. You know, but alongside him, he had Steve McLaren, uh, who I have to say is probably the, the best coach I've come across. And that's saying... At saying something, so you had this 
this archetypal manager, and then Steve McLaren, who then had a sports psychologist with him as well. So I'm now getting all these different experiences as well uh, through through Derby County, just by the, the new breed kind of coming through. And it was fascinating. I, I loved it, really enjoyed it. I think we had uh, a really good side at Derby. I think we finished uh, seventh or eighth, which is the highest they've been well, since the last 20, 30 years, whatever it is. So um, uh, I had a, had a great time there. I, I stayed there a couple of seasons. Uh, Paolo Wanshot, Dean Sturridge, Igor Stimak, Lars Bohinen, Norwegian international, Larsen, Denmark international, quality players. Uh, but it's a team that wasn't striving for the very, very top. So I never felt so much pressure when I played with Torino or Chelsea or Leeds. And they always wanted to win kind of everything, whereas Derby were happy to be where they were. And, and us finishing seventh grade was a great success. Uh, but yeah, but I certainly learned another side of it when the technical aspect of uh, really looking at the games and and monitoring the you know the distances run and all this sort of stuff, but now we see it to the extreme. But uh, it started right back there. One of the the best stories I've ever heard about Jim Smith. I interviewed Craig Burley, who obviously was at Derby, and, and Craig said that Jim Smith was asked about motivating players, and he said, "I look at all the players I need to motivate, and then I get rid of the buggers." <laughs> <laughs> which which is that's something that Jim would say, and uh, one of the one of the craziest games. Uh, at Derby with, uh, with Jim Smith was we were playing Liverpool away and so I must admit when we're playing a big team away at Derby County uh, Jim used to get the manager used to get a bit excited and suddenly you could see the pressure his little his head was going ring 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 and I'm thinking oh god here we go so training's going to be a bit tricky Thursday Friday you know before the game then on the Thursday we played this uh, this game and uh, our main player Stefano Aranio injured and then Chichi Baiano another Italian striker this time he did his car and then I think Stimak then hurt his knee so we're dropping like flies all our players injured in this game so three had gone so he is now going crazy on so there's no stop 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 no tackling no this no that following though he's still five aside another two of our players got injured in the five aside so it was it was crazy so we end up traveling to Anfield with a load of kids and uh, like five or six 18, 19 year olds, two or three hadn't even been with the first team squad before. We hadn't even picked the team because we we're trying to get some of the injured ones back to see if they're fit or not. So no one knew the team. We had a bunch of kids and we're going to Anfield. <laughs> so the following day, 11.30 was our team meeting. And uh, we got there and you could see the young lads, they were nervous as heck. So I'm trying to calm them all down. I said, don't worry, what a great experience this is going to be. You know, we're, we're, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> the boss doesn't turn up. He just doesn't. He misses it completely, the, the, the meeting. Steve McLaren says, right, just you know, just get it, lads. We'll, we'll just get on the bus, have something to eat, get on the bus, and we'll just go to Anfield. <laughs> Next thing, we get on the bus. Steve, uh, sorry, Jim Smith is now uh, staggering towards the bus. He's still a bit hungover from the night before. He slept <laughs> in. He's now on the coach, and we are going to Anfield, and the lads, their eyes are on stalk because they don't know if they're playing or not. No idea. We finally sit in the dressing room and Jim tries to announce the team. But he's slurring his words. So in the end, Steve McLaren took, off, took it off him, announced the team, the company of you know, young lads, everything else. Anyway, long story short, we get out there. We win 2-1. Kevin Harper actually scores, uh, I think, the winning goal. And the headline the next day in the Times was fantastic. It said, Tactical Genius Smith wins the day. <laughs> If you only knew what happened in those two days previous. So 
he was a character. He was a real character, but a lovable one. Again, you'd, you'd want to really work for him, and uh, I don't know what Absolutely incredible when you when you think of of him as a manager and, and as you see with the headlines as well as players. What a, what a story that is. Um, in terms of your career, you, you finish up at, at Stoke City. How do you reflect on your career overall? And crucially, what was it like dropping down a couple of divisions at the end of your career? Was that something you enjoyed or was it something that was difficult? Uh, I found it hard. Yeah, I, I found it hard. Um, I think I was really pleased that uh, Stoke really, really wanted me to, to sign. Uh, I lived only half an hour away. That was kind of the, the reason in the end that I just wanted to, to travel to a club for the last you know year or two at most. Um, and they tried hardest to sign me, so uh, I was delighted. But uh, yeah, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And I think uh, trying to help the lads uh, at that sort of level, uh, I, I did it to December or so, and then it just, it just became difficult. I think mean, once I then decided to retire that season, it got me through to the end of the season. Um, but uh, I, I enjoyed my time there, but I just thought, now I know it is the time to stop, put the, uh, the boots in the bin. And actually I did, it was my last day. Uh, I walked out, I put all my boots in the bin. And then uh, as I turned around, <laughs> two or three young lads are like jumping in the bin to get me kicking boots and run off for the thought, That's fine, you take them guys, because you're younger than me. I'm off and I'm, uh, I'm finished now. So uh, yeah, right time to stop. Media career following football, you're, you're still working in the media now. Is that something that is, in a sense, the second best thing to, to play in, in the sense that you're very close to the action and you can express your views? Yeah, I, I think I always wanted to stay involved somehow. Um, I, I did go down the business route as well, but still did some media stuff. Um, the media, I really enjoy it. Uh, I like to, you know, obviously watch games and take part. And so that's what I've done. I've commentated, you know, since I retired. Uh, City Art is probably my speciality, but I, uh, I'm now back at Legion United as well, I'm an ambassador there, so I do all the, uh, the comms for them. Uh, I commentate on World Cups and European Championships. I went to, to Brazil, did that World Cup. So, yeah, uh, I'm still involved in all that sort of thing. So uh, it's a lot easier as well, I tell you. All you do, you just you turn up, you talk about football, which is wonderful. No one has a go at you afterwards. You haven't got kicked or injured or anything, and off you go. You just go to the next game. I love it. Uh, yeah, I just really enjoy it. You know, I really enjoy it, and I'm fortunate, I suppose, to to have used what I did in my football career. Yeah, that's that's enabled me to to have a career afterwards. You know, doing all these types of things. So it's great. Last question for you. You've been successful on the pitch as an individual. You've won numerous Player of the Year awards, both in England and abroad. Won a league title in England, which nobody can ever take away from yourself at Leeds United. Um, an incredible achievement. Played at international tournaments. You mentioned the World Cup playoff with, with your dad in that story, which is incredible. What advice would you give to young players listening to this based on your experiences in the game? Because one of the things you said earlier that really resonated with me was there's a big world out there. Don't be afraid to go, as you did, to Italy and experience a different culture. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because actually um, uh, I do some uh, motivational speaking as well. And I talk a lot uh, about, um, you know, really being the best that you can be. And, you know, never put, never put a ceiling on where you think you're going to end up. Uh, and you know, always uh, just understand that it's, it's actually down to you. You know, no one else is down to you. And you'll come across a lot of people and a lot of players, a lot of coaches, managers, and maybe a bit bumpy, but even if it's a bit bumpy, it always comes back down to you of how you respond. 
to those bumps. And, uh, you know, if you can get in your bed at night, sleep soundly, knowing you've given up 110%, and uh, you know, that's all you can ever hope for, but that can take you a long way. So if you have that determination, you give it your best shot, and always remember it, it comes back to you. Uh, go out there and enjoy it and uh, see how far you get. And uh, little old me from Australia ended up playing in a World Cup for England. So uh, if I can do that, I think anyone can do just about anything. Brilliant, Tony. It's been an absolute pleasure and an education. Thank you so much for your time. No problems at all. Cheers. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in